left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. It's about not losing course, being able to use the assets that you receive from your W-2, from your active income, and being able to use that in a way where you're investing in assets that are going to create the freedom that you want so that you truly can do what you want to do. Since you are here listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you're investing with a group of people. Whether you're investing with family or friends or like-minded people in the left field investors community, group investing is a strategy that can get you into more deals, help you diversify, and go beyond what you can achieve by yourself. Before TribeVest came along, it was difficult to overcome all the hurdles associated with group investing. It was basically a strategy reserved for the wealthy. Not anymore. Now, TribeVest helps your group with everything from incorporation, collaboration, banking, and equity management tools all in a single place, so you can focus on building wealth with the people you know, like, and trust. I'm using TribeVest for all five, now six, of my investor tribes. It's a game changer. Check them out at TribeVest.com. You are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast, powered by TribeVest. The mission of Left Field Investors is to build a community of like-minded individuals interested in creating financial freedom through passively investing in real assets that generate real cash flow. In this podcast, Jim Piper will interview passive investors, syndicators, and others who will share their journey with a focus on helping the passive real estate investor learn and become part of the Left Field community. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, and you're listening to Passive Investing from Left Field Podcast. I'm super excited today to have Billy Keels with me. He is the founder of Keepon Cashflow, a company with a mission to educate high-paid corporate employees on how to have more control over their financial lives through investing in real assets. He's also the host of the Going Long podcast, and he recently liberated himself from a W-2 obligation. And he's from Columbus, Ohio, but he is living far, far away. But I'll let him tell you about that. Billy, welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Wow. Jim, this is like a long time coming, man. I'm super excited about this. And thank you very much for the warm welcome. And yeah, I'm just really, really excited about the conversation today. I am too. We've had a lot of good conversations since we've met. And I'm really looking forward to this one. So the way I like to start is your financial journey. I know you live overseas, so tell us about that and tell us how, especially from where you live and what you're doing, how did you get into real estate and how did this all happen? Yeah, man. And you know what? Just two things, if you don't mind, I'll definitely show you about the journey. But part of it is you mentioned one thing and we have actually continued to evolve. And so Keep On Cashflow is where we started. Today, we're actually first generation capital partners. There's a real story behind that. And I'm sure that we'll get into that as well. Number one. And then number two, I just want to recognize you for being guest number 150 on the Going Long podcast with Billy Keels, where you absolutely crushed it. So everybody should definitely check out Jim when he was on the podcast. It was absolutely awesome. And then lastly, and then I'll answer your question. I know that you rock with this podcast. You put so much time, effort, and dedication into it. And if you're listening, make sure that you take just a couple seconds to leave an honest written review as well as a rating because that definitely helps Jim 
to attract more of the right guests so that you can get exactly what it is that you need, what you want, that's going to help you move further much faster. So I hope you're okay with me asking for that, Jim. I know I'm a guest, but I just, as a fellow podcaster, I think it's one of those things that as a listener, it's something that definitely helps. So make sure you leave that honest written review as well as rating. So, but my money journey, so just really quickly, and yes, from Columbus, Ohio. So this is a super special conversation for me. And the money journey really started out not such a nice place because both of my parents, I guess everything kind of starts at your parents, right? And whether it's right or wrong, it is what it is. And I watched both of my parents really struggle with money and wasn't their fault. They weren't taught about money. And, but what they were taught is that they go out and work harder. And so neither one of them finished college. My dad never went to college. And so I watched them both work two jobs. I watched them struggle like at the end of the month, trying to figure out which bills they needed to pay. And so that started off the relationship with money in a very kind of like tense relationship, because when you don't have it, it's never a good thing to talk about. If you don't talk about it, you can't learn about it. And if you don't learn about it, well, you just kind of stay in this cycle that's never a good thing. And so although I watched them do that, they put such a premium on education that we were then, my parents, they separated, we moved to different states. By the time I was 12, we lived in Colorado, Texas. My parents separated and eventually divorced, but we came back. But one of the things that happened when we came back to Columbus was my parents really wanted us to always be in really good school districts. And so although we probably couldn't really afford to live the lifestyle of most of my friends. I was there. And so it actually exacerbated. It made the problem even worse because we were in a place where it was, I was seeing all these friends that had these nice things. And I thought that that was the really important stuff. I've since realized that that's not really the important stuff. But when you're young, you're impressionable, right? And I watched my parents struggle. And so that made it even much more difficult at that point in time. But the really positive thing that came from that is I watched my parents work really hard. And so that working harder was something that has just been instilled in me at birth. I mean, it's one of the things when I went to college, I went to college at Miami of Ohio in the Southwest of Ohio. When I was in college, I took out debt because I needed debt. I got some scholarships and I actually washed wrestling mats during college to help pay for my college. So I learned how to work hard. I got really good grades. I was a student. I'm a recovering perfectionist today because I always try to do things really, really right. And along the way, I just, I learned how to work hard to save. And as A students do, I put my money, once I started making money and I realized the difference between saving and investing, um, because where I come from, when you had money at the end of the month, that was considered investing. And I learned very later in life that that's not really investing. Investing is something completely different. And so because I did what everybody else was doing, I got the same results as everybody else as it relates to money. I got the good job. I was out there. I was working hard. I was getting the promotions. I was achieving top sales executive, rookie of the year, all this kind of stuff. And my relationship with money started to improve because I finally had it. And so I did what everybody else did. I put my money in the stock market. The 2000 bubble happened. I lost money. Then they told me, don't worry, just do some DCA, dollar cost averaging. Eventually it came back. And then in 2008, the exact same thing happened again. And so when that happened, Jim, it made me reflect on what my parents always told me, which was, hey, listen, Billy, if something happens once and then shame on the person that kind of pulled the wool over your eyes, but if the same thing happens twice, then shame on you. And this was like the second time that I invested in the stock market. I trusted the stock market and it didn't work for me. And so I had to look for something else, started reading a lot of books because I wanted financial control. I wanted more control over the outcomes of my life. And I'm sure we can talk about it a little bit more, but that is when I actually started to find out more about how I needed to couple other streams of income with the thing that I knew how to do, which was work really, really hard, be in the corporate role and move up the corporate ladder. So that's a little bit about the relationship with money, kind of where we got started. And eventually I'm sure we'll get into how I started investing in real assets. Yeah, that's great. I want to touch on you. You said there's a difference between saving and investing, and that was important once you kind of figured that out. 
Talk about that. What is the difference? Yeah. So, and keep in mind the context where I came from, if you had money at the end of the month, because nobody really talked about investing because that just was a foreign concept. So growing up, I thought that saving, meaning having money in your account at the end of the month, that was investing. What I didn't realize is that was the environment that I was in, but then investing was something else, meaning that you already had your basic necessities taken care of. You paid your bills, you paid for school, you paid your gas, you had the groceries. You also had reserves, meaning if something were to go wrong, you had something that you could tap into that money. And then once you have those reserves and you have your basics covered, then the additional capital can be used or the additional monies could be used to be invested, placed in vehicles that would generate more of the money. So make your money multiply at the end of the day. And so I used to think that the only way to do that was investing in the stock market because that's what everybody else was doing. That's what I saw. And that's when I started realizing that there were also other things that I needed to start doing because the one place that I was quote unquote investing, I had no control over the outcomes. And that was frustrating for someone who is a recovering perfectionist and an A student, just not being able to have control yeah. did not work well with me. So how did you find real estate or these alternative investments, right? You were a stock market guy, 2000 happened, 2008 happened. You're like, shame on me now, right? And your whole perspective that you have money, you're making money. How did you figure out, okay, I need more income streams. I need tax breaks. I need everything that comes with the real estate and what you do now. How did you find that? And how did you make that leap? Yeah. So the first thing that I realized in 2008, I knew I needed to take action. So I came across this little purple book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I know everybody's heard of or read it or read it 15 times. But the thing is, I picked it up, Jim, but I didn't finish it. I picked it up and I was like, wow, this seems pretty cool. But then I put it down because I was back in the States and it was at my dad and stepmom's house. And eventually I just thought it was really cool, but didn't finish it. A couple of years later, I actually was back stateside. I picked up the book. I read it. I brought it back to Spain with me. And I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. This is like the most important thing. And then what happened from there, Jim, is I took that theoretical knowledge and I started then reading the entire Rich Dad series. I found podcasts. I was listening to them. I found videos on YouTube. And I was literally like, you know, when you become a theoretical ninja of something, I was like the most theoretical ninja ever. I knew everything. Revenue minus operating expenses is NOI and then NOI, have debt service and then everything else you get to keep. And I was like, wow, this is really, really awesome. And so I kept doing that and I knew and I knew and I knew. But the thing that actually started to get me to take action was one of the most painful things that has ever happened to me in my life. And up until recently, I was really ashamed to even tell the story. But what I've realized is by telling the story, it makes me feel better, number one. And it also, it happens to a lot of people because when you're an A student, when you're the person who is believed in the corporate role and you climb the ladder and you do all the things that you're supposed to do, and when you're making a lot of money, you can get lost. And so the night before my son's third birthday, I was really not feeling well, like literally sick to my stomach. And the next morning I got up, I had to take a flight to Frankfurt pretty early in the morning. I know you're familiar with over there in Germany and stuff. And when I get ready to take my flight, I woke my wife and my one-year-old up because I wanted to give my three-year-old a hug and a kiss because that morning I had to fly to Germany. When I was in Frankfurt, we were at a meeting all day long. And the thing that I wanted to be able to do was at least give my son a hug and a kiss. And I did that at six o'clock in the morning, running out the door to the airport. And that night, my in-laws and my wife and my two kids were back in Barcelona. I was at this business meeting. And that hurt me so bad because they were blowing out the candles together. They were there at the birthday. And one of the things that I'd always told myself is I wanted to be a very present father. I wanted to be there and I wanted to be at the special events. And that was completely incongruent. And so what that did, that very painful, like emotional situation, and that's something I can never get back. It took me from being a theoretical ninja 
to actually getting to start to take action. And so I wrote down my five-year goal and in 18 months, I'd accomplished the five-year goal that I had been pontificating on for the previous three years and not really taking action. And so that's the thing that got me into real estate specifically because I was looking for more control. That was a model that I understood. And I realized that if I did that, I could earn two, 300 bucks a month per door. And so when that started happening, things work really well. I've tried to do that in Barcelona, but I wasn't really penciling out because when you were getting started, you don't realize that you need the education and you also need the accountability partners. And I didn't have either of those here in Barcelona. And when the numbers started penciling out as negative cash flow, I was like, this doesn't really work. And it was at that point, a couple of friends that are here were like, hey, listen, Billy, you're a US citizen. Why don't you just buy back in the US? And I was like, are you serious? <laughs> like I live in Barcelona and the properties would be literally 8,000 kilometers or 8,000, 9,000 miles away. But anyway, ended up doing that. And to date, I spent like a decade, almost a decade, working in a corporate, really corp demanding corporate role. And at the same time, investing in real estate initially, understood that model, bought some small multifamily properties, also ended up buying a mobile home park while I was living here. And then I found out that I was something called an accredited investor. Jim, I had no idea what that was. I'd never been around that terminology. And I had been accredited investor for a number of years. And when I realized that that gave me access to very specific types of investment opportunities, I was like, wow, hang on a second. I can give somebody else two, $300,000. They do the work and I get the reward. Okay, cool. So then I ended up investing passively in other things like ATM machines. And what was happening along the way was I kept hearing that investing in real estate was going to help to drive my taxes down. And so that's what I was expecting. I was investing in this real estate and it was really, really awesome because the real estate, the mobile home park, the ATM machines, doing all of that, whether it was active or passive, it was generating really tax efficient money. Like I was paying almost no tax on it. The thing that was happening is I was also, I kept paying like 40 plus percent in my income tax. And I was like, well, hang on a second. I thought this was supposed to bring down my taxes. And at the same time, I started recognizing after like four or five years, there was this thing on my tax returns was passive losses. And it was like in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I was like, well, hang on a second. I'm investing in these hard assets. I am making money on them. It's really efficient. I'm still paying 40 plus percent in income tax because I earned a lot of money. That's I know it's a first world problem, but that was what was happening. And then I had this monies that were trapped that I couldn't do anything with. I paid my CPA. We sat down. He explained the difference between active income and passive income and why they didn't mix and things like that. And then I looked for another solution to that problem. And that's what actually led me into investing in the energy sector. So I've realized that, and I know this is one of the things that you teach as well, is finding the right vehicle for your investment context so that you can get to the destination in the most comfortable way possible with the vehicles that you feel the most comfortable with. So hopefully that gives a broad base and gives you an understanding as to how I got started there and also how it's kind of evolved since then. Yeah, that's great. And I think it's, as you know, I lived overseas. I lived in Germany. You live in Spain. I just think when I was in Germany, I wasn't doing any invest. I was investing in the stock market because that's what I knew then. Um, and that was easy because the internet was just starting. It was possible. But I can't imagine living that far away in owning actual assets. Now, syndications, yeah, because that's out of your control. But how did you figure out how to manage your properties from such a long distance? I imagine some of them you might not have visited or even seen. I did it wrong a lot until I figured <laughs> out how to do it right properly. No. Right. So 
one of the things that kept coming back to me, Jim, was I didn't want to feel like I felt when I missed my son's third birthday. And so I didn't want to depend anymore on just my job for a source of income or something that was investing in something that I would have to get like 20 years later in the pension plan or the 401k equivalent, right? And so as I started down the path to really investing long distance, I realized that my criteria was number one, I wanted to invest in a place where when things went wrong, that I could at least call a family member that could get there relatively quickly. That's how I started selecting the right location. Definitely not the right way to select a location, everybody. Do not do what I did. And I had money in the bank that I knew that I didn't want just sitting there anymore. So combining the fear-based criteria of saying, hey, listen, my family members can get there within an hour, plus I have money. That's the way that I made the first purchase of my very first duplex. And from there, what happened is I had a very positive financial result and it inspired me to continue to invest. So then I bought a quadplex and then I bought another one. And then that's why I got to my five-year goal in 18 months. But along the way, I did make a lot of mistakes. I mean, when I think about the very first property that we purchased, I thought about, I wanted to create cash flow and I wanted to purchase a property. I didn't think about building a team right? Because that's absolutely critical, especially when you're going to be thousands of kilometers away. I didn't think about the dynamics of the location that I was in, investing in because I just knew my thought process was as a family member nearby. So I did a lot of things wrong, but I knew that I didn't want to feel the way that I felt before. And so that got me to take action. Along the way, I realized once tenants started calling and they didn't want to call Spain, I realized that we had to put a new process in place. So we got things like a 24 hour a day, seven day a week answering service that then would call the person who was general contractor slash handyman. I realized that that was a way to get it solved, but I actually needed to then go get a proper property management company. So I did it wrong, but I learned a lot in the process and it's helped to make me a much better investor today. Because when I hear people talk about the things that they're doing that I know that they shouldn't do, I know what the fix is because Unfortunately, I paid full price for those mistakes and can help other people to do the same. And it's in the exact same way that that's really about managing a specific asset, which is today it's not my core strength, which is why I don't really focus there anymore, but I do have the experience. Now it's also about helping other people who were just like me, high paid professionals, very busy, that wanted to be able to make sure that they're spending time with their loved ones and doing it in the way that makes the most sense for them when they wanted to be able to do it. And so I've shifted more from understanding a specific asset type to really understanding the specific context of a person and figuring out, because I've had experience in different types of assets, to be able to figure out, okay, well, you have this specific issue. Have you thought about investing in this type of a solution with this type of a team? So it's been a little bit of the evolution through experience, not doing things properly, and then also eventually I got things like paid mentorship and was able to draw on other people's experiences. And I realized that that was a way to really accelerate me being able to get to the place that I wanted to be for my family and for myself. Yeah, I, I think that's great because you either learn from your own experiences, usually in the form of failures or just mistakes, or you can take kind of the shortcut, right, and learn from someone who's already done it. Now, it's probably more effective. You learn a little bit better if you make the mistake on your own. But if you can avoid the mistake altogether, of course, that's the first choice. And you mentioned, I really like how you said it, that you're trying to match up the person with the situation, right? So I don't have a W-2. I haven't in a while. So when people talk about some of the tax strategies, but the W-2 people, I'm like, okay, I kind of tune out. 
I try to tune back in because I know a lot of my people in my community need this knowledge. So talk to us about how did you mitigate or what were you doing when you had your W-2? What were you doing to mitigate that, that tax that you couldn't on the passive side, that you couldn't mitigate? Yeah, sure. So, and I love how you talked that about that or teed that up because it is my experience. So by no means am I giving anybody any type of tax advice or any of that kind of stuff. What I would say is whenever you hear a story to talk about it with your tax team, with your tax strategist and see how it could apply to your specific situation. But one of the things, and I mentioned before, like when I saw these passive losses, I thought that real estate was going to help me to reduce my taxes. Well, because I was not someone who has a special IRS designation, because I was a very busy professional, my wife is also a busy professional. And because of our circumstance, she doesn't even live in the United States. But a lot of times what you see is that there are two busy professionals and both working in a corporate job and you cannot qualify for the IRS designation, which would allow you to mix active income and passive income. So because I could not get that designation, it was a matter of saying, okay, I'm creating passive income through investing in rental properties and passively investing with other people and owning this mobile home park. But I had to find a solution for paying 40 plus percent in tax. And so as I started looking for that solution, it was actually random luck that I ended up meeting someone who was in the oil and gas sector and having had an opportunity to invest my own capital and trying to fix my own problem. When I saw that the results were positive, I thought, wow, this is a really interesting opportunity to like to take to other people that are high wage earners like me. Because if you can use your earned income, be able to keep more of that earned income and then invest it in things that are passive investments, meaning generating passive income, that's much lower tax bracket. So by being able to invest in the energy sector, specifically it's in projects that are related to carbon capture, these projects allow you, because of the IRS codes, to be able to invest in these particular projects. The projects generate consistent future returns at the same time allow you to take, because of the current bonus depreciation rules, which are taking your investment and being able to deduct up to 100%. And potentially, if you add other leverage and things like that, it could be even more than that. Being able to use that investment to reduce your taxable income on the earned income side. And so being able to do that, you're freeing up capital that you get to either not pay in the future or get back because you've overpaid on it. And then that capital you can use for other types of investments, whatever the most appropriate investment is for you and your family. But I never heard of anything like that before because I hadn't been exposed to it. And so once you're exposed to it, then it gives you the opportunity to learn more about it, find out if it's the right thing for you. And then once you figure out if it's the right thing, you take action and you get your tax deductions, you get your future returns, and you're able to, what I say is get to your personal freedom much faster. Because at the end of the day, and coming from a family that doesn't have a lot of money, you realize that when you're able to keep and control more of your capital, that it provides you with lots more opportunities for yourself and for your family. So hopefully that was clear, Jim. Hey, Leftfielders. This is Julian McClurkin from Tribe Vest. I recently had the pleasure of sitting down with Jim Pfeiffer for a masterclass. I learned so much from passive investing to real estate syndications to how you can diversify your portfolio with a tribe. I also learned how this form of passive investing was only available to the wealthy until recently. If I learned a lot, you will too. Go to leftfieldinvestors.com and check out the masterclass button at the top or look up Tribe Vest on YouTube. I'll see you there. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to know a little bit more about the carbon capture. So that is treated like oil and gas, where in some of those investments, 
you can use the losses generated to offset your W-2 income. But what is the actual, what are they doing? What's the investment? And is it a typical syndication? Yeah, so in this one, this particular one is a syndication. So we're bringing people together to invest in a particular piece of machinery. That piece of machinery that is being utilized is owned by the partnership because of the bonus depreciation rules that exist today, as well as the structure of the opportunity allows or permits each of the investors to reduce their investment up to 100% of their investment because it's the bonus depreciation. We're actually working on some things to be able to even increase that. So it's very interesting for someone who is a high wage earner, someone who is an accredited investor. This, these types of investments are open to accredited investors only, but it does give you the opportunity to invest in a partnership that owns a piece of machinery that is then used by another party. They are generating returns through the increased production of oil and gas. And from there, that is what is generating returns for the investors and the piece of machinery. There's the bonus depreciation that is taken against the machinery. I mean, there's a lot more that we've talked about this. I mean, we've put together even a white paper. I think you mentioned we'd be able to talk about it, but it's you can pick it up at firstgencp.com forward slash pay less tax. You can find out more about that specific opportunity and things like that. And yes, I mean, it's just something that's different. I mean, the fact that you are providing that exposure to your left field investors is, I think it's just about exposure, just like most things in life. Yeah. And I'm always looking for new different asset classes. You know, I have the shiny object syndrome, so I'm trying to restrict myself a little bit. And I do kind of tune out when it's something related to W-2, because as I said, I don't have a W-2, but this is powerful strategies, right? For people that are high income earners, it absolutely is to find something that can offset some of that income because it's a tax problem. And as you know, taxes are the number one eroder of wealth. And if you can reduce and eliminate your taxes, you're in much better position to grow your wealth and create financial freedom. I love you said that, Jim, because this is one of the biggest mind shifts. Because for me, as I started becoming interacting with more high net worth individuals and just being able to listen to the things that they were talking about and being able to ask questions, what I realized is that there is an obsession, an absolute obsession by individuals who are high net worth. And whether it's their first generation that they're just learning or it's been in their family for generations. And I didn't really understand it in the beginning. I was like, what's all this obsession about tax? And then one day I sat down with with a guy and he was telling me, it was like, well, if you consider that you're paying, even in California, like you think about this, if you're at the high end in California, you're literally paying like 50.3%. Like you're literally working for the state and the federal government, which is pretty interesting. But they said, when you think about the fact that 50 cents on the dollar or 40 cents on the dollar is going away. If you can figure out how to even keep 20% of that, you're generating, or half of the 40%, you're generating a 20% return. And I thought, hmm, I never even thought about it that way, right? Because I wasn't exposed because I was just thinking about and exposed to other mindsets. And in the beginning, it was really kind of like, I don't even understand what you're talking about. But then afterwards, I was like, oh, if you pay 40% in your tax, that means that's going away. If you make half a million dollars, that's 200 something thousand dollars that's going away. If you can keep half of that, that's roughly $200,000 that if you keep that in your pocket, you can actually use it to invest in other passive streams of income, which are more tax efficient. And you're actually using the different vehicles to help you and your family get to the destination that you're really looking for. And whether that's traveling around the world or it's retiring early or it's spending more time at baseball games, whatever the case may be, or Buckeyes games, or whatever the case may be, then that's what you're able to do. But it's about being exposed, it's about learning, and it's about being able to take action. Yeah, that's well said. And I want to pivot now because you mentioned it, the thing, what you want to do, right? You've created this freedom, what do you want to do with it? And you have successfully, what we call at Left Field Investors, ditched the W-2, right? So 
you're not working in the high-powered corporate world anymore. You're full-time syndication, real estate, all of that. So I have a bunch of questions about that because that's what everyone wants to do, right? They want to ditch the W-2 or reduce it, make it optional, all of those things. So how did you know you were ready? How did you prepare? And what do you say to others who want to reduce or eliminate their day job? Yeah, so a couple of things. And I guess I was very fortunate because like I said, I've been working day and night for almost a decade. And so working my day job, being in the top talent program, being a top achiever, going to Hawaii every couple of years. And at the same time, I was working really, really late in the evening because all my business ventures were back in the US. And so about four years before I quit my job, before we separated, right? Because at the end of the day, it's, you're kind of trying to figure out like there's this whole void in your life, right? But for four years, I kept going to the job because I enjoyed going to the job. I enjoyed the big paychecks. I enjoyed solving really big customer problems because I'm selling eight-figure solutions to companies. And so when you're doing that, you can get caught up in that momentum again. And that was one of the things that was happening. But I had a real-life situation happen towards the end of last year where my father got really, really ill. And there's just something about, I mean, I'd lost family members and things like that. But there's something about being in the ICU with your father and recognizing like these machines are keeping him alive. Like they are the things that are keeping him here. And I started realizing like there are things that I still want to do. There's still things that I'm allowing the job to keep me from doing. And that was the moment again, like these aren't things that were related to money. Like the first thing was with my son at three. And then the second thing on the corporate side was my dad and seeing him there and making me realize like I keep going to this job because I enjoyed, I like the recognition, but I don't really love this job. And because I'd been doing the work for the previous nine and a half, almost 10 years, I made the decision to say, you know what, this is time to move on to do something else. And that being stated, I think one of the things that you have to recognize as someone who is working in a W-2, not all W-2s are bad. I enjoyed mine. I would probably still be there, Jim, if I wouldn't have had this harsh reality hit me smack dab between the eyes. And while you're at your day job, make sure that you're focused on the things that are most important. I posted this the other day on LinkedIn is no one remembers the number of hours that I worked over time when I was working in my sales and sales leadership role. But my wife remembers that I wasn't at my son's third birthday to this day. Right. And so if I wouldn't have been with my dad in the ICU, my brother and sister, my stepmom, they would have remembered that. And so it's about not losing course being able to use the assets that you receive from your W-2, from your active income, and being able to use that in a way where you're investing in assets that are going to create the freedom that you want so that you truly can do what you want to do. And if you choose to do like I was doing for five or six years, seven years, going through the motions, then that's what you want to do. At the same time, if you realize you don't want to just go through the motions and you don't want to wait for something negative to happen in your life, then dare to make the break earlier. But you have to be able to use the resources that you have, meaning your financial resources, your earned income, be able to invest in the network of people that can help you move forward. And I mean, everyone that is here listening to you week after week, Jim, they're already making the investment to do that, to learn more, to connect with new people, to be able to further and move even closer to their real goals. So once again, it's not related to money, but it is related to using the assets that you have to be able to get to the liberty that you're really looking for. Yeah, I think that's great. Use the assets you have to get to your liberty. That's fantastic. When you were thinking, you're with your dad and you're thinking, hey, I got to change some things. How did you know financially that, yeah, I can earn enough 
that I can get rid of this high paying job and still support the family and create financial freedom and all that. I don't want you to go through the numbers, obviously, but how did you figure out like, yep, I can do it. This is the time. Yeah, love that. So two things. So one from the previous assets that I'd owned personally, so like through the real assets, the small mobile home, the smaller multifamily, the mobile home park, the ATM machines that I'd invested in passively, and the other investments, because I'd invested in multiple things as a passive investor, and all of them have not worked out. I've invested in a couple of hotels, and during COVID, that was just not a really good place to be, but things are now turning around. So I actually saw, and we understand at a household level, me and my wife, how much we spend on a monthly basis we'd already had our monthly expenses covered. I mean, we'd had them covered without my day job for the last couple of years. I mean, it wasn't massive. I mean, we had it covered through the investments. And so I felt comfortable being able to make the leap, although I felt very, very, very uncomfortable because of where I come from. As much as I want to continue to move forward, there's like this little Billy that still has this kind of scarcity. Like, I don't want to live like when I was little. And so there was some trepidation, there was some fear, but I also realized that Because of the business that I knew that I could start to build with the investors that I had while I was still working a day job that trusted me, knowing that I was still working a day job, I knew that once I turned and just focused 100% on being able to build from a professional perspective, build the business, that the financial results would keep us in a place where I didn't feel safe or where I didn't feel unsafe. And so also, I'm humble enough to realize the unlikely event that I would ever need to go back to enterprise software sales. I have a number of doors that are still open. So I thought, you know what, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. And so it was just kind of look yourself in the mirror and say, you've been saying you're going to do this for a while. You hadn't done it. There's no bigger kind of like sign in life other than seeing being here in the ICU right now. Your finances are covered. Yeah, you will be a little bit uncomfortable because you won't have those big bonus checks that are happening all the time, but focusing and putting the energy where, no pun intended, on the building the business, that that would, would start to happen. And I can tell you six months in, the amount of feedback, the people that we have been able to come into contact with, with the business and having the focus, it's amazing. Like I realize now, Jim, how much my old company was always in the back of my mind, even when I was saying that it wasn't because I had this side hustle thing. The clarity that we have received from people when they go to the website and they understand exactly how we can help them and being able to see like now my team is in place. And so being able to get clear direction for me, get the tone that's set for me on a consistent basis, the results are actually happening much faster than I have even anticipated. So it was breaking through some fear, breaking through that W2 piece and now having some faith that the results would start to happen. And so far, so good. Yeah, and it's interesting when you make a huge change like this, that now you're not focusing on so many different things. Shock that the one thing that you're now focusing on is going to be better than it was before and probably better than you thought it was because now your full focus goes there, which makes sense if you logically think it through. But I want to talk about, you mentioned a couple of times that you're a recovering perfectionist. And you also have said, I've heard you talk about this, we've talked about it, taking action before you are ready because you have to take that action. So can you talk a little bit about how you balance those out because as a perfectionist, you want to make sure everything is exactly going to plan and will go to plan. But as a realist, you got to just jump in and do something. Otherwise, you're just going to keep reading the purple books. You're not going to take any action. And so that's the thing that happened, Jim. It was when I was that theoretical ninja and I was reading all the books and I knew all the formulas and every single thing, I knew all the videos. But then I looked and I was like, someone asked, okay, well, yeah, what what does your portfolio look like? 
And I would go back and like, yeah, the rental income minus the expenses, NOI, but yeah, what about your portfolio? Yeah, I just haven't found the right property. And so, and also too, you kind of get to a point where you're tired of making excuses, especially when you're someone who's looking to create results. And so what I didn't anticipate was that it was gonna take something that was non-financial because I kept waiting for that perfect property. I was looking on the MLS, I was looking on Redfin, I was looking in Zillow, I was doing all the things that I thought I should do from a theoretical perspective. But then after that, it was amazing that the thing that happened with my son and his third birthday, after that, then I went from that to actually picking up the phone, realizing what I needed to understand, meeting people. As I was meeting people, they were introducing me to other people. And that emotion created motion for me to start to take action. And so since then, I've realized that when you think that investing is like being able to take an exam, it's not the same thing. So you shouldn't approach it in the same way. This is very different. An exam is in a sterile environment. They're right, wrong answers. But as you come out and you start to move and you're investing, sometimes it's going to go right. Sometimes it's going to go wrong. What you learn is from the things that go wrong is usually where you get the biggest growth and the biggest learning that makes you an even better, more proficient investor. And so as I continuously fight against being a perfectionist, and why I say recovering perfectionist, some of the things that I also do now is learn from other people and apply really quickly so that I'm not that person who is waiting for all the stoplights to turn green before I leave my house to go to wherever it is that I'm trying to go. And one of the principles that I've actually learned that I now apply was a principle that at least is attributed to uh, General Colin Powell, the late General Colin Powell, which is the 4070 principle. I don't know if you're familiar with this or not. Have you heard of it, Jim? I don't think so. Okay. So as a recovering perfectionist, this one is, is amazing, right? So to help you to not try to get all of the right answers and get in that paralysis analysis zone is he would say whenever he had to make a relevant decision that was typically going to affect literally lives, he said that he would apply the 4070 principle, which is he needed a minimum of 40% of the information in order to make a decision. And he did not ever want more than 70% because less than 40% mean he didn't have enough information to make an informed decision. More than 70 was going to start to take him into a zone of look for every single thing, get to 100% before you make the decision. So the 40-70 principle says, make sure you have between 40 and 70% of the information and make the decision. And then if it's the right decision, put the pedal to the metal, keep doing more of it. If it's the wrong decision, then you'll start to pivot, right? It's what happens when you are someone who is used to getting things right all the time, don't worry. When you see that it's going off course, you're going to course correct and you're going to bring things back to where they need to be anyway. That was the part of the equation that I was forgetting. It wasn't that it all had to be perfect the first time, but just be clear on where you're trying to go and get started and stay close and course correct along the way because eventually you're going to get there, hopefully faster or sooner rather than later. But if it takes you a little bit longer to get there, well, just keep taking action and that's going to get you to your destination. That's so true. And you just have to take action. There's times when I've taken action and it hasn't worked out. And there's times I've taken action and it has worked out. But it has never worked out when I haven't taken action, right? <laughs> it's not going to work out if you're not doing anything. So yeah. that makes complete sense to me. Now, we're going to have to wrap up here briefly. But I want to ask you, tell me about First Generation Capital Partners. Yeah, so First Generation Capital Partners, and this is part of the evolution that's taken place, right? We started and a lot of but when I got started, I really just, I was sharing my journey and I was sharing and I remember I would had these like calls to action and because that was one of the things that I was told by my mentor and I was just sharing. And I remember having conversations with people that would find me on LinkedIn and they DM me and, hey, listen, I'm in software sales as well and I've got this problem and you're talking about it. 
And we would have phone calls, Jim. And at the end of the phone calls, people would say to me, you know what? I'm really glad I talked to you because I had no idea what you were actually doing or how you could help me. (laughs) And I thought, okay, well, that's interesting. But because I was so busy with my day job, I didn't stop to actually get that kind of feedback and then action it. So one of the things that I realized very quickly was, okay, well, kind of where did I start? I didn't start from a family that had a lot of money. I found out later in life that I was an accredited investor. I'm a first generation accredited investor. And so really the genesis of first generation capital partners is being able to help through education and doing things like this to be able to connect with other first generation accredited investors. Because there is something that happens when you learn about becoming a credit investor along the way. And I remember being in rooms with people that were like credit investors and multi-generation and they all understood the jokes and I didn't. And I didn't really feel comfortable asking or saying things that I didn't understand. Just like the whole thing with tax that took a number of sessions and sitting around and getting to know people. But the goal is to help people, especially if you are a first generation of credit investors, there are things that you may have on your mind that you don't feel comfortable talking to or asking. And this is a community, this is a family that is going to help first-generation accredited investors get to the goals that they want to be able to get to, helping them to understand the different facets of investing. I am a student along the way as well. I mean, I've been in a point where I've been able to achieve the results that would allow me to leave my corporate role. And at the same time, I'm looking at different investment opportunities, just like you, which is one of the reasons that I enjoy speaking to you so much, is really helping people understand that it's about understanding the different vehicles, using those vehicles to your advantage to be able to get to the destination. And that's really where the genesis of first-generation capital partners, and that's what we're on a mission to be able to do is to serve those first-generation credit investors. That's great. I love that mission. So the last question I always ask is, what's a great podcast that you listen to? You cannot use the Going Long podcast, although that is an awesome podcast. That's your own podcast. We'll put that in the show notes. But what's another podcast that you like to listen to? Yeah, you know what? One of my very favorite podcasts that I like to listen to is Eurodollar University. And I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, if you've heard it, but Jeff and Emil, they really talk about the Euro dollar. It's something that initially I was like, well, it's Euros and dollar and da-da-da. But what it's helped me to realize is that there is such a large banking system uh, that is based in dollars that most people don't even think about, don't even know about. And this is just a way to be more informed on the macroeconomic situation. And it is one that I have on my podcast list that I go to quite frequently. So Excellent. I'm definitely going to check that one out because I just recently heard of the euro dollar. I probably should have heard of it long ago, but it's super interesting. And so I will definitely check that out. And the last question is, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way they can do that? One of the best ways is, and mentioned it earlier, especially for that person who is high income earner that's looking to find out more about how we are employing one of these strategies, you can go to firstgencp.com forward slash pay less tax. You can find out more about it. We got a little write up there. You can check us out at the website, which is all new and just for you. It helps you understand more about us. It's at firstgencp.com. Obviously, you can listen to the Going Long podcast with Billy Keels. Once again, check out Conversation 150 with Mr. Jim there. And lastly, if anyone wants to connect on LinkedIn, I love connecting there. I'm sharing a lot more frequently there as well, just different ideas, thoughts, and things like that. So I think those are the best ways to connect with me. And Jim, I'm pretty sure that I'm the only Billy Keels in Barcelona, Spain. So I should be (laughs) easy to find. Yeah. (laughs) Well, listen, this has been fantastic. And to be honest, it's not that different than the monthly calls we do anyway. It's just that this one's being recorded and will be broadcast on the podcast. But I always enjoy the conversation to you. I learned so much. And so thank you so much for being on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Jim. Appreciate the opportunity. 
we would like to introduce one of our trusted partners, Ashcroft Capital, to the left field investors community. At Ashcroft, they focus on capital preservation while still having upside potential through their value add funds. They are proud to announce their second fund, the Ashcroft Value Add Fund 2, is now open to investors. The Ashcroft Value Add Fund 2 has been created with one singular purpose in mind to reduce risk to investors. The Ashcroft Value Add Fund 2 will continue to use the same conservative business plan Ashcroft was founded with, acquiring quality multifamily assets and offering value-add opportunity in strong performing markets throughout the country. To learn more about Ashcroft Capital's investment criteria or about the markets and properties they are targeting, please download their latest AVAF2 Frequently Asked Questions Guide at ashcroftcapital.com slash left field. That's ashcroftcapital.com slash left field. That was a great conversation with Billy. I always enjoy talking to him, not just because he's a Columbus, Ohio guy who happens to live overseas. We have a lot of similarities there, but he has so much knowledge that he's willing to share, and he really is trying to help people. He's learned a lot. He's gone on this journey, and now his mission is to help others to do the same. So a couple of things that stuck out to me, and the first one is obvious, but we never do it. I never do it. Have a strategy that's specific to your situation. It took me a long time to figure out that I had to invest for cash flow because I wasn't earning a W-2 anymore. That sounds obvious. In retrospect, it is ridiculously obvious. But too many times, we're seeing what other people are doing. And part of the power of community is that we can see what everybody else is doing. We talk about it. But what you also need to realize is that just because everybody else is doing this certain strategy, it might not make sense to you because you're in a different situation. So make sure that you tailor your specific strategy to your specific situation. If you are a high earning W-2 person, that's gonna be completely different than a business owner or someone who's just a passive investor. And so don't get caught up in what everybody else is doing. Learn from them, listen to them, find out what they're doing, but then make sure that when you actually start investing and you have your strategy, make sure it is specific to your situation. So I thought that was great advice And then we've all had these situations, right? You miss your son's birthday, your father's ill, and it makes you realize that, hey, I need to be doing something different. And I really enjoyed hearing Billy's story of how he made changes. And now he's in a better position where he can take care of family when he needs to and be there for the big events because he realized that the W-2 was holding him back a little bit and that he had figured out that he didn't actually need it, but if he did, he could always go back to it. So that was interesting. And then we always talk about, you gotta take action, you gotta take action, which is true, but sometimes the perfectionist in you gets in the way or other obstacles where you're just analyzing or you're just not ready. But at some point, especially if you have a community to help you so that you're not making major mistakes, you might be making minor mistakes here or there, but you know that you're protected by your community You have to take action, take that first step, and then you're in a whole different world. The snowball starts and it gets bigger and bigger, and pretty soon you're W-2 optional like Billy is. So take action, that is so critical. And use the resources you have to create your future, right? Whatever you have, use that. Gain knowledge from your community, gain other things, but use the assets that you have in the correct way, in the way that you learn from all of the education you're getting so that you are creating the future that you want for yourself. So again, 
love talking with Billy. We have a monthly call and we're going to continue that. And I can't wait to see what his new company does and where he goes from here. So that is all for today in the left field. Thanks for hanging out in left field with us today. If you're interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestors.com or you can send me an email, jim at leftfieldinvestors.com. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.